Bibles and make this declaration of faith with me. This is my Bible. God's written living word to me. It tells me how God thinks. It tells me what God says I have. And it tells me who God says I am. Because it's how he thinks about me. I choose to believe and act on what I'll read. And therefore I'm transformed. Amen. We are going to continue this morning with God's help in our series called Scandal of Grace, wherein we are studying the first eight chapters of Romans, and we're in the sixth chapter in the second part of that, the last about 11, 12, 13 verses. As we ended our message last week, we ended with verses 11 through 14, summarizing them like this. So, consider yourselves dead to sin. I'm reading from those scriptures. Now, we've lifted some of the context out, so if Jerry's showing them to you, uh, the whole context of the scripture is not in here. So listen. So, consider yourselves dead to sin. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. Do not present your members to sin, for sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under the law but under grace. Paul gives us here the three primary ways in which we can overcome in our daily lives, that propensity that still rests in our unrenewed mind towards sin. He says, first, consider. The Weiss translation of that says, constantly counting upon the fact that on the one hand, you are those who have been separated from the sinful nature. I love that. You consider this. Anytime you're being tempted, just consider, stop, count to five, count to ten. And remind yourself, God separated you from that desire. God separated you from that act. God separated you from that temptation. God did it. God has separated you from anything that's not life-giving. And he's put you in a new nation. He's put you in a new place, as we learned last week. In verse 12, he says, let not sin. And the mirror translation of that says, you're under no obligation to sin. It has no further rights to dominate your dead declared body. Therefore, let it not entice you to obey its lusts. Isn't that a great translation? I love that. You're under no obligation to sin. I think sometimes what happens is when we're being tempted... When we realize that that desire, that foreign thing has risen again, and we're so shocked by that, you know. Here I made a commitment to the Lord. I told the Lord I'd never do this again. And I've been walking with Jesus for for years now, and all of a sudden there's this thing, this little twinge of something that's back. And, And we're taken by surprise, and then here's the lie. Well, if you're thinking it, if you're feeling it, you might as well do it. I don't know, maybe none of you are like me, but that's the process I go through. Oh, yeah, if I'm thinking, if I'm feeling it, might as well, I've sinned, might as well go ahead and do it. No, 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 no. Sin is a process, James says. We're all enticed by our own desires and drawn away. 
And sin in the process is on down the line, James says, in that process of thinking and desire and being drawn away and tempted and all of that. So even when you get the desire, even when you have a desire or, you get, or a thought enters your mind, that doesn't mean you've committed the sin. What you need to do is stop and do this. Let not sin, which means you're under no obligation. Just say, I want to remind you, thought. I want to remind you, desire. My body is dead to you. I'm under no obligation to do what you're suggesting I do. And then he says in verse 13, do not present, which the mirror translation says, quote, do not let your members lie around loose and unguarded in the vicinity of unrighteousness. Isn't that good? You know, there's just some places you shouldn't keep going. (laughs) You know, there's some things you just shouldn't keep looking at. Do you know there's some people you ought to just graciously maybe bow out of some of the efforts to get together? Be sure that some other, you know, do it in mixed company. Be sure there's other people there of, of grace and full of life. And See, God was witnessing. He just... Good point, Jeff. Good point. Hope we captured that. Renald III, a 14th century duke in what is now Belgium, was grossly overweight. Renald was commonly called by his Latin nickname, Caressus, or Caressus, which means fat. After a violent quarrel, and this is a true story, after a violent quarrel, Renal's younger brother, Edward, led a successful revolt against him, and Edward captured Renal, but did not kill him. Instead, he built a room around Renal in the Newark castle and promised him he could reign or regain his title and his property as soon as he was able to leave the room. This would not have been difficult for most people since the room had several windows and a door of near normal size, And none of them were locked or barred. The problem was Renault's size. To regain his freedom, he needed to lose weight. But Edward knew his older brother. And each day he sent a variety of delicious foods. Instead of dieting his way out of prison, Renault grew fatter. When Duke Edward was accused of cruelty, he had a ready answer. My brother is not a prisoner. He may leave whensoever he wills. And Renal stayed in that room for 10 years and wasn't released until after Edward died in battle. And by then, his health was so ruined, he died within a year, a prisoner of his own appetite. Isn't that true of us? He has separated us from sin. He has moved us to a new country. Our body is dead. And yet there are these vultures flying around just looking for an opportunity to pick on your dead carcass. Oh, Renal, still fat. Could leave the room any time if he disciplined himself and not hang around putting the members of his body as instruments of unrighteousness. Our text today 
Starts in verse 14. Look at it with me. Romans chapter 6. Reading from the English Standard Version. For sin will not have dominion over you since you're not under the law but you're under grace. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you were once slaves of sin, you've become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, you've become slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things in which you are now ashamed or of things or of which you are now ashamed for the end of those things is death but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end eternal life and here we could all quote this right part of the Roman road we use it when we're sharing Christ for the wages of sin is death but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ, our Lord. One of the things that uh, the apostle deals with afresh in verse 15 here is this issue of grace being a license to sin. He dealt with it in verse 1. Is grace a License to continue in sin. And then here in verse 15, is grace an occasion? Does it give you an occasion? Or does it give you the right to occasionally sin? The two are different. They have different meanings. In verse number 1, the apostle is dealing with the idea that grace would mean I can just keep on sinning and live any way I want to. By the time we get to verse 15, he's no longer dealing with that. There is an assumption that we have made a commitment past that and we're attempting to live a godly life through the help of the Holy Spirit. But then we still have this argument going on and he says, now, is grace a reason to occasionally sin? And he says, his answer is, no, may it never be. And that's because grace is the very foundation of our relationship with God it gives to us our lifestyle of freedom freedom from the law code I uh, had an interesting thing happen here this last week towards the end of the week I was going through some email and I had to look for something in my deleted items is everybody with me (laughs) okay (laughs) Some of you have no idea what I'm saying. What's he talking about? No, I'm not talking about the mail that's pushed through the little door in the brick of your wall, you know, when the mail falls through in the closet and you go get the mail off the floor in the closet. Remember that? How many of you can Ooh, (laughs) I just dated myself. So most of you are familiar with email. Okay, so I'm going through my email box, my deleted items box, and I realize there are over 13 
15,000 deleted emails. Now, I have always prided myself being the owner of an IT company as I was before selling it of having a total inbox sent deleted items and having just received items all together of 100 maybe 200 I was diligent I never let things get out of hand and here I am looking through my deleted items box. I have over 13,000. <laughs> and then I realized, do you know when you delete an email, all you do is move it from one folder to another folder on your computer? It's not gone. Shut up. <laughs> Who brought you in here? <laughs> and then I understood. That's what we've been doing with sins. Click. And we just move it from one place in our life to a different one where it can hide out for a while. And all of a sudden, one day, <laughs> we're working on life and we've had some challenges and upspring 13,000 thoughts and desires that you thought you had dealt with in the Lord Jesus and were free of. The beauty of Romans 6 that I never understood prior to the last couple of years, honestly, and I've been walking with the Lord now since I was 14 years old, is that Paul here in our passage, in our text, is not dealing with individual sins. He's talking about something called the sin nature. And when he says God has separated us from sin, he's not talking about that God separated us from looking at pornography or God separated me from gossiping or God separated me from stealing. Or, all right? He's saying, I've separated you from the very nature that produces the desire for you to do any of those so if you'll just get a revelation of who you are in me now. You know what you do when you get a revelation? You know what happens when you get a revelation of who you are in him? How he's separated you from the very sin nature and therefore its desires, its thoughts, its leanings, its propensities? It's like emptying the trash can. Bruce. <laughs> All right? Where most of us live our entire Christian walk fighting with individual sins, trying to get the victory over certain thoughts that are unpleasing to God. God says, why don't you just empty the trash can 
and come on over to the new place in me that I've created you to be. And you'll have much greater success over all of that. I, oh, Jesus, help us. Verses 16 and 17, listen to this. From Weiss translation, whether slaves of the sinful nature resulting in death or obedient slaves of Christ resulting in righteousness. But God be thanked that whereas you were slaves of the evil nature. So twice in those two verses, he refers to the sinful or the evil nature. Chapter 6 deals with something which every Christian wrestles with, but that Jesus and Paul, Jesus and Paul both, intended to simply be a life-giving process of rest. You're not made to struggle. You're not made to fight against sin. We are made to just sit down in him and rest and know that he destroyed the sin nature, separated us from it, and moved us to another country. Now, in these remaining verses, what's interesting is he gives us two interesting illustrations to explain this new relationship that we have with Christ and back to our old nature. Here they are. Number one, slavery of all things. Slavery. And number two, fruit. And he says in verse 19, here's why he has to use these illustrations. Look at it. I am using an illustration drawn from human affairs because you're just not able to handle some things. So I need to talk to you in this way, he says. All right, let's deal with the first one. Eight times Paul uses the word slave in our text to describe our former relationship with sin and the new relationship that we have with Christ, which is called righteousness. Now, Webster's Dictionary defines a slave as, quote, first, number one, someone who is legally owned by another person and is forced to work for that person without pay. And number two, a person who is strongly influenced and controlled by something. And so, Paul says, I was a slave of sin. Let's use Webster's definition of here. I was legally owned by sin and its forces. And I was forced by it to do things that I never wanted to do. He brings that conversation up later in chapter 7 that we'll deal with beginning next week. And you know what my pay was? Nothing. He says later in our text, the fruit of this was just death. And at the very least, and here's the problem, even after we become Christians... So many of us, because we think we need to fight and struggle and do battle with sins, sins, individual sins, name yours. Not right now. I mean, not out loud. <laughs> Get myself in trouble. But what, what we do then is we fall maybe under this second definition, a person who's strongly influenced and controlled by something. Maybe you realize you have a different owner. I belong to Jesus. I, I, I've claimed Jesus as my Lord. Amen? Amen? But 
But, but sin is still strongly influencing and controlling. And so in truth, we have to admit, you know, this isn't right. This seems like slavery. Now, Paul said, I was a slave of sin, but now, get this, here's his wording. Now I am a slave of righteousness. He says it this way, verses 17 and 18. Jerry, I think we have these, don't we, English Standard Version? Verses 17 and 18. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having, watch this, and having been set free from sin have become, past tense, have, not are going to be in the future, I am right now, I have become a slave of righteousness. I am no longer a slave of sin, I am a right now, not tomorrow, not when I get the victory over certain thoughts, not, not when I'm able to really put those desires down and walk free and not have any of those kind of desires anymore. But right now, I am a slave of righteousness. Rather than striving to be something we're not, or acquiring something that we need to get, Paul in Romans chapter 6, verses 15 through 23, argues that we already are what's pleasing to God. We already have met the standard of righteousness which was provided by what Jesus did when he died on the cross, was buried, and rose again. And he uttered those wonderful words, it is finished. It's complete. It's done. He wasn't just talking about going to the cross, completing the mission. He was talking about redeeming our innocence bringing us back into relationship, perfect relationship with Almighty God. Do you see it? Do you see it this morning? You were a slave of sin, but you're not anymore. Now you're a slave of righteousness. You say, but what about what I did this past week? I know. We all have those kind of things, but that doesn't change your relationship with God. That doesn't change the fact that you are the righteousness of God in Christ. Okay, so moving from slavery to fruit, let's consider why this uh, illustration of fruit is so important. I I got to thinking about the idea of fruit and why Paul would use that as an illustration of how that we're separated from sin and we now are a slave of righteousness. Because I I really used to think that after I made my commitment to Jesus Christ, it was my duty, it was my obligation. I had to spend the rest of my life getting free. You know how I started after I accepted Jesus? I went home and I got out all my rock records. Kiss. Jethro Tull, Led Zeppelin, yes, oh, Journey, Kansas, brother, I got out the trash can and I broke it out. I thought just from, 
I should give them to somebody. No, that'd be sin. Why would I want someone else to be enjoined in the sin in which I was captured? So I got out that and I broke them. I broke them. I broke them. So they couldn't be used. And now slowly, I'm buying them on Amazon. Little by little, I'm restoring. I thought that was my mission. I've got to get rid of the sin in my life. You with me? Everybody understand? And I didn't realize that he had already dealt with the issue called sin nature, killed it, destroyed it, crucified it on the cross, buried it, and then rose again with power over all of it. And we found out last week in the first half of this chapter, I was co-crucified, co-buried, and co-risen or resurrected again with him. I was there. And so it's no wonder that Paul says, look, you're separated from sin. I've dealt with the sin nature. You're in a new country now. And you have become a slave of righteousness. But what about this fruit, Paul? This is so interesting <laughs> that you would use fruit. And I begin to think about it. Fruit is a result, isn't it, of what's inside the tree not what's hanging on it externally. Fruit is a result of the substance of what's already in the tree. It's the life-giving substance in the DNA of the tree that produces the fruit. You see, having victory over sinful inclinations or thoughts doesn't come from my struggle against these things. It comes from pulling on the new DNA that I have in Jesus Christ. He said it this way. Paul wrote 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him... I might become the righteousness of God. Now that's either true, he either did it, or he didn't. The mirror translation of verse 22 of our text says this, Consider your life now. There are no outstanding debts. You owe sin nothing. A life bonded to God yields the sacred expression of his character and completes in your experience what life was always meant to be. End quote. Victory over sin is not the willful struggle to change our behavior. Neither is it our commitment to be like Christ through obedience. Actually, it's the fruit of a new nature imparted at the new birth and the fact that we have divine nature flowing now through our veins assuring us 
of a very simple transformational victory over our old nature. Do we have any more of just the loose fruit, or is it just is do do? There's one here. Do do we have any of the loose, unbagged fruit? Could we just grab it real quick? Where is it? Okay. What does this look like? It's dying. Charlie Brown. <laughs> Charlie Brown. <laughs> well, now look there. There is some life on it. It looks like my Christian experience. <laughs> I'm a new tree in Jesus. <laughs> I go to church. <laughs> I sing in the choir. I read my Bible. <laughs> there's, there's not a lot. Uh, I was friendly at the store. <laughs> so hand me those oranges. Ah, those are okay. Those are fine. What you got there? You can have them. Yeah. Can I have it? They're fine. So here's what I do. I go and I hear a sermon at church that I can stand against sin, that I don't have to act that way. I'm better than that. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I don't have to act that way towards somebody that doesn't like me. I can have better thoughts about them. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. I'm getting there. I'm living for the Lord, hallelujah. And uh, the way I've been treating my wife, I, honey, I'm going to change. I'm not going to do it anymore. I think I need more hope than that. Okay. Yeah. How many of you can identify with this, right? This is, this is the Christian experience in Western America, Western Christianity, especially here in America. And then all of a sudden, the wind starts blowing. <laughs> Something happens at work. Or a best friend gets mad at you and curses you out. Or your spouse hauls off and starts doing something that you don't like. And it starts moving. And it starts shaking. And you lose your joy and you lose your victory. Because your fruit's falling off. Because the fruit 
didn't come from the tree. It came from your efforts to be like something you're not in your own mind. But it's different. When you just be what you were called to be, and you don't have to run around telling everybody, oh, I love Jesus. And look at all the fruit in my life, okay? You just, you just rest. You have desires, you have temptations, they come your way. But you're cool, you know, it's all right. Because you understand that fruit is not a result of your effort, but a result of the DNA that naturally flows through your veins. And one way or another, I'm getting the victory over this because he's already separated me from sin and given me the victory and made me a slave of righteousness. And so I'm just going to rest. And you know what? You start, you start looking around in this fruitful, life-giving situation here, and you know what? You discover, well, I'll be. I'll be. It was kind of hidden, but I'll be. Look at all of the fruit just naturally hanging there because it's part of the DNA of what naturally happens in a healthy tree that doesn't struggle to be something it's not. It's just that. It's a lemon tree or it's an apple tree or it's a... I just am. Now, I'm not going to assure you that none of this will fall off due to the immediacy in which this was put together this morning for the sake of the example. And, and let us not think that some of your fruit, even though you are a healthy Christian just resting in the Lord, isn't going to be tested and fall off and you're going to need to work on it. But it's not the struggle that we've made it in the past. That's right. And so we return to this idea of last week. Chapter 6 of Romans should never be the bane of your existence. It should be an overflowing joy of revelation of who you are already in Jesus and what he's accomplished. It's not self-effort. It was his effort and he said, it is finished. It is good. Stephanie, would you come?